You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics in all honesty. I'm your host, Maurice Young. I'd like to thank Dram for sponsoring this episode. Their artistically simple packaging caught my eye when I first stumbled across their award-winning CBD sparkling water, Drops and Bitters, a woman-owned Colorado-based business that champions sustainability and doesn't formulate their products with so-called natural flavors, which, side note, can ironically contain synthetic chemical flavorings. It turns out it's not too good to be true. You can shop at dramapothecary.com or just click the link in the show notes. For a limited time, you can also use the code YHM in all caps for 20% off your first order. And now, onto the show. Thank you so much for joining me today on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Thank you for having me, Marissa. I'm excited. Yay. So I like to start out by asking guests with just a simple question, although sometimes the answers um, are much more complex than they might seem. But who is Ashley? Uh, You know, that is such a timely question. Um, I've been going through some big changes over the past year. And also working on a story um, that centers around my marriage, but that goes back and really dissects and tries to look at a lot of stories, a lot of experiences that I've had in my life with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an ever-changing question. I grew up in Canada as a figure skater. Wow. Yes. And my mother was a figure skating coach. And it was really my entire life was, was centered around the rink. I grew up in a very small town. Um, hmm. One stoplight in my town. And that made us the big town in the area. Like the, the driver's education <laughs> classes would come to our town to practice going through the stoplight. Um, so wow. grew up very, very small town. And um after university, took a job in New Jersey, out of you know all places, and sort of sort of on a whim, um, and that is where I met my husband, and we partnered up very quickly. Um, we were both we were both really intent on being very mature and grown up. So you know, it, it seems like we fell head over heels in love, but we fell like sanely practically in love and then started doing all the grown-up things um (laughs) including I started my own synchronized skating organization in Philadelphia when I was 23 um so that has been a huge part of my life um I was a coach and choreographer for 23 years because as as a little kid who always wanted to be a grown-up I actually had my first position as a director and head coach when I was 16 back in Canada um so when I moved to this area, the northeastern United States, there wasn't very much synchronized skating, which is the team aspect of figure skating that you don't actually see a lot because it's not televised the same amount as um, the other disciplines. So if you can picture synchronized swimming, but the water's frozen, um, (laughs) 12 to 20 athletes doing the same thing at the same time. Um, So I built um, what became one of the biggest organizations in the country. And at the same time, um, or, you know, coinciding with that, my husband and I got married. We had three boys. I was also homeschooling and homesteading um, and home birthing, you know, but that's just one day for each one of them. Um, 
in yes. addition to running my organization, in addition to running my own nonprofit. Um, and looking back, I can see all of the reasons why I took on so much um, and just kept adding to it. Uh, and mm. the last few years have been a process of taking off those roles one by one and really feeling into what what there is there to inform me um, about what who I thought I was, who I really am, and the kinds of things that I want to model for my children. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's huge, <sighs> yes. And this kind of brings me to how we came into contact with one another, actually. So we met on Instagram, and I follow... <laughs> We both follow Elizabeth Gilbert, who, for those who are unaware, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, Big Magic, and a bunch of other novels as well. Uh, Her newest one is City of Girls, which was amazing. And she posted this quote that said, universal human compassion that does not include the self is not universal. Mm -hmm. And she had a really lovely, like, well-thought-out, well-written, of course, caption and then I saw your comment it actually was like the first one that appeared mm-hmm. for me and I was really intrigued so you said yes I did a 180 from martyr mom to selfish mom and now my family is thriving mm-hmm. and then Elizabeth Gilbert herself <laughs> chimed in and was like say more about this Ashley I'm intrigued <laughs> and I'm gonna read your comment for the listeners okay. because this is like your answer to kind of explaining what you meant about that really blew me away. I messaged you immediately, started following you, and I was like, I have to talk to you. So this is what Ashley said. Okay, I was a home birthing, homesteading, homeschooling mom while also working full-time running my nonprofit. I felt like I had too many full-time jobs and was failing at all of them. I considered quitting my job to pour more into my boys and by some miracle realized that maybe, of course, The best way to teach them how to reach for their dreams and take care of themselves is to reach tirelessly and unapologetically toward my own. So, wow. Yeah, you know what? You're going to make me cry just reading it back because it still carries so much weight for me because it is a constant Mm. process. It is a constant process really trying to model for my children what I want for them. Mm. So that was an interesting day um, when I made that, because (laughs) when Liz Gilbert says, oh, Ashley, could you tell me more? You know, I was like, gee, Liz, I've only, you know, been giving people my opinion since birth. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable (laughs) with that. Um, But it did, it, it was a wonderful opportunity. And it's one of the reasons, excuse me, that I love social media. Um, because the connections mm-hmm. that we're able to make um, and the access we're able to have to each other is, yes. I, I consider it magical. I really do. There, there are some parts of technology that are just magical to me. Um, you know, it's the big magic when things kind of come together. Um, yes. So I was so grateful when you reached out and then I started looking at your material. And what I loved about um, your messaging and your purpose is that 
you know, you saying that you still can't quite figure out as a mom, like why the most important conversations are the ones we don't have. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's how I felt as a mom. I was like, okay, I Mm. had done in my life. I was very, very good at doing what people expected of me. I was an excellent Mm. student. I'm the oldest of four children. I would achieve, achieve, achieve. Like, I think, I think when I was a little girl, people only had to like dangle a carrot in front of me once. And I was like, oh, Mm. this is what I do. I I achieve things. I, you know, I reach people's expectations. I set goals and I I reach them. And then I I don't even know if anybody ever put a carrot in front of me again, or if I just kept doing it. Like, I, yes. Oh my goodness. And when you're so little, when you figure out what gets you um, attention and what gets Mm -hmm. um, that praise, from people, it, that's very informing. And there are some of us, and mm-hmm. I'm putting my hand way up high in the air, who just mm-hmm. eat that up so quickly and so um, so rapidly um, that it, it was really before I was thirty. It, it wasn't until I was thirty-five years old that I went, wait, 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 what, what, what have I, what carrot have I been chasing? What am I doing right now? Um, yes. And also, right up in figure skating where. And I've written about this too. Um, the concept of perfection was not some like impossible mm-hmm. thing that like it was a very real thing. It was the six which was the the highest score you could get in, in figure skating at that time. And you okay. know, so it was like this constant, this constant um, judging and putting myself out there to be judged. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even that I was comparing myself to my competitors because a lot of them were my friends, you know, who I would train with and then compete against. It wasn't that I, I figured out much later that really I had always been comparing myself to some like textbook, perfect girl or like the Mm. gold standard. So in motherhood, Mm. um, because I'd always been like a hard worker and an achiever, I really thought that, you know, I could, I could take that. And then in all of these aspects of like being a woman or being a person or being a mother, or being a wife, I searched for the highest level of difficulty in all of them. And all of this was really subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but in skating, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't have the chance to really get high scores unless you are attempting something of the highest difficulty. You know, just like in Mm. school, in school, you know, you can get good grades, but if you're taking the highest, you know, the most difficult classes and then you get good grades, you know, that's like an, that's right. Then it really stands. Exactly. That's like a huge gold star. So, yes. So I just am a person with stamina and energy and um, a fiery personality. Like I love projects and doing and achieving. So the way when I came into motherhood and then started taking on all of these things, um, it didn't raise mm-hmm. any red flags to anyone around me. You know, um, it was just mm. like, you know, Ashley has always done everything. And what I then started to evaluate was wait a minute, like th- this is too much. And why, like, why, why have I found myself, sort of in this situation where I have 
all of these things that are like full-time pursuits, trying to fit them into one lifetime and trying to handle them with Mm. one body, like one physical body to try to do all of this. Um, Mm. And I, I had to like look back at my early days of motherhood. I, I had always thought that if I worked really hard and if I studied, I mean, even before I became a mother, Maris, like I read the women, mm-hmm. the womanly art of breastfeeding, which is like almost 600 pages long. Like I was, I was able to tell the lactation consultant in the hospital. Oh, cause I had my first son um, in the hospital. Oh, I think this and this and this would be the things we tried because he wasn't latching well. Like even, you know, even when I was fatigued after the birth, like I was like, I always loved having the answer. Well, because you know, if you go back to school and you put your hand up and you have the right answer, like, you know, that, that, that to me was really showing that I was, worth something and that I was special and that I had, you know, these aptitudes. So I tried to Mm -hmm. even be a good student of motherhood. And then my first two boys were 22 months apart and we planned them that way. And, um, I know a lot of people have children that closer, closer, but it was remarkably Mm -hmm. challenging for us. And I think it was when I had my second son that I was suddenly like, you know, having our first baby, he didn't sleep much, but you know, we were able to sort of manage, but then we threw another one into the mix. I felt incredibly overwhelmed and confused because I Mm. never saw moms struggling or talking about the challenges. And I was trying to figure out like, why is this so hard for me? And and am I the only one this is hard for? Um, my, my work life was really stressful then. I had a lot of skating parents that year who were really unhappy. And mm. so the, there was a lot of disharmony there. So there were, uh, my husband also had some health issues. Like there were things coming from a lot of different directions. Um, but instead of right. me just looking and going, whoa, like life is really lifey right now. Like it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. I was looking at myself and really putting the blame on myself. Like what is wrong with me that I can't handle this and make it look beautiful and effortless. Mm-hmm. Like, like the aim is in skating, competitive skating. Right. And so tell me more. I'm curious about how this all manifested within your motherhood yeah. journey. Cause you did mention that, you know, you wanted to be like the best student of motherhood. So what were some of the things that you wanted to incorporate into your motherhood journey um, that you may realize later on, I'm not so sure that I need to be holding on so strongly. Such a good question. Such a good question because every single thing um, I incorporated into my motherhood journey was initially Mm -hmm. out of love. It was just out of love and care. Um, And, you know, it started with, like the home birth and the breastfeeding attachment parenting, you know, backing up a little bit to when I first got pregnant, that's when I really doubled down on my um, commitment to healthy, organic, local foods, you know, all of those things that I think a lot of us, especially as mothers in this, you know, time period really find ourselves drawn to, you know, 
and the motivation behind it is care, right? Yes. To, to, you know, make your body as healthy as possible to give your baby the best chance at like really growing strong and not being, um, bombarded with unnecessary chemicals. Cause there are so many pollutants that we don't have the control over. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of it started there, but like most things that I do, I accelerate it really, really quickly. And when I would add one thing on, I wouldn't drop another one off. So, mm. um, in addition to cloth diapering, then I learned about elimination communication. Are you familiar? I am, but tell the listeners more about what that's. Okay. Like. So elimination communication was something that I started when my second son was born. And this, the real motivation behind it was I was feeling like, um, you know, my first son, got all of my time. I was still working, but I I worked evenings and weekends and did my administrative work during the day. So I was essentially home full time during the week, but then also had my full time job evenings and weekends and traveling, you know? So just the way I fit everything together, I was able to pack in a lot, which was a blessing Mm -hmm. because I was able to spend so much time with him. So when my second was born, I was thinking, okay, how am I possibly going to give this child as much attention as the first, because, you know, instead of giving myself like a realistic expectation, I wanted to like be the very best student of motherhood I could be. So I set the bar high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I was introduced to elimination communication, which is tuning into your baby's cues so you, that you know when they need to go to the bathroom, like when they need to poop or pee. Mm-hmm. So for what, what it was for me was I somehow developed, it's, it's amazing how you can tune into your children, but like what, what I yes. started noticing because they were in cloth diapers was I could tell when they were peeing because they would hold their breath as they would pee. So that's where it started. Like if mm-hmm. I was baby wearing or holding them, they would actually hold their breath when they would pee. And so I had my toddler son and my, um, my newborn son. Right. And what I started noticing Mm -hmm. was my toddler even would hold his breath and his play, whatever he was doing would pause at that moment as well. So there would be like an audible Mm. change in his activity if he was going to, and it actually happens right before. And so it's just this tuning in and it was, it was really interesting. And I, and I loved reading about it in um, other cultures and in traditional societies, how when they don't have access to disposable diapers or laundry, like we do that, that this is just how they do it with their baby, you know? And so I felt Mm -hmm. like it's a really natural and beautiful way. And it, um, you know, sinks us up. And it, it really did, you know, if you're feeding on demand and also putting them over top of a potty on demand, cause that's the, that's the idea. That's, that's kind of where you get to when you start picking up on their cues mm-hmm. that then bef- you know, they're going to, and it's, it's funny because it seems like then you'd be like running with a baby in your arms to the pot. But <laughs> There, the cue comes several seconds before they would actually go. So there's no actual sprinting. Like it's not like an Olympic event. Um, <laughs> but I would pick up on it, you know, with enough lead time to then just kind of pull their diaper to the side or off and then hold them over the potty to pee. And 
I would do right. this if they if they had to go poop as well. So my my boys actually potty trained very early because they were in tune and I was in tune. Um, but it was just like it was just none of these things in isolation are crazy. I mean, some people may think that's crazy, but in practice, it was actually there were so many nurturing parts of it. Um, but just when I started adding on all of the things. Um, that's mm. when I got to the point where I had three children, home, the homeschooling, and I had tripled the size of my business in just one year. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, and that's when also at that point, I, we started having some issues in our marriage come to the surface in a real way. You know when like things are rumbling underneath mm. for a long time? And then it was like the volcano yes. was ready to erupt. So when those things started coming to the surface and we are still together, we've been together 17 years, married for 14. And really we are in, we are in a place of connection and love that we were not even in at the beginning of our relationship. Like the place that we are now is just, it's, it's beyond actually what I ever dreamt that we could be like, it, it, it is such a beautiful place that we're in now. And that's part of the reason that I'm telling the story and working on the book right now that I am working on um, to mm -hmm. really tell that marriage part of it too, because there's, it's, it's just like has so many similarities to the motherhood journey that we all wonder if maybe we're the only ones that are really struggling. And then, you know, maybe you have a few friends who will open up a little bit, but then there are so many signs mm -hmm. around like, family or culture or other perfection on social media that makes makes me fear like oh well wait maybe I am the only one um but every time you know I have a conversation like I'm having with you or you know reading your your work listening to your podcast I mean that's why these conversations are so important um because I think that the things that we are struggling with even though we're all in slightly different or very different situations the things we're struggling with are universal. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so did you find that you were able to have these conversations while you were going through the thick of it? Or were you trying to keep it to yourself because you weren't sure that it would be oh, received well? Oh, that's a good question. Both. <laughs> Both. Um, okay. it, depended, it depended on what the topic was. I had an amazing group of friends. I had a huge community of friends that that I really, really built and like poured myself into partly because I was not getting the connection in my marriage that I was really craving. Um, but mm -hmm. it, I, I was able to I was able to become a part of this incredible community of women. So I was able to talk about a lot of the motherhood stuff with them. Um, but the mm -hmm. marriage stuff was so complicated and I felt, I felt really scared, um, as a woman that if they, that, you know, one of these things that happens sometimes when we're growing up and it happens young, I think, um, is that, you know, mm -hmm. we can get the feeling sometimes that other girls or women assess us first to find out if we're a threat before they are willing to step into a friendship with us. Do you know what I mean mm -hmm. by that? 
like, yeah, like, um, you know, that, that feeling like there's only so much attention to go around or like, is this a person who, um, I can trust will be, you know, there to be my friend that my boyfriend or my husband isn't going to, you know, be looking at that way. You know, all of those, all Mm -hmm. of those deeply held fears about what would make women trust me and what would make them not want to be friends with me anymore. Um, that was, Mm -hmm. that really drove me to keep a lot of the marriage stuff private and it was incredible incredibly difficult and incredibly painful during that time to feel um, so isolated when it was so challenging. Um, But Mm -hmm. in hindsight, it pushed me, pushed me almost off the edge, you know? So it pushed me deeper into um, my feelings and the exploration and the discovery and pushed me much deeper into my spirituality and my questioning uh, and I think that mm. if I hadn't have, if I didn't, hadn't have felt so alone during that, I know that I just kind of look for the next box to check or the next thing to like, you know, the next step out of wherever I am. And I mm-hmm. probably would have been able to gloss over a lot of it if it hadn't, ha- if it didn't feel so lonely and if it hadn't have felt so dark. Mm. Um, so for that right. reason, I'm really great. Like I wouldn't change a single, single thing. Um, but it was those conversations with friends about motherhood and the struggles of motherhood that then gave me the courage to start putting some of this marriage stuff out there. And I've written about some of it. And every time mm-hmm. I did, I was so terrified so terrified that when I pressed post or publish that like, oh, you know, I would get a phone call from my dad or a text from my brother or a friend would, you know, send me a nasty message like, I can't remember, or that the sky would fall. Like, I don't even know where it's like what I was expecting, but like, you know, this fear of being vulnerable and this fear of showing that my life is something other than perfection. Um, but I just had this urge and, and really rediscovering my love of writing and my creativity was really a part of this understanding and the healing process for me. So when I would share hmm. about things, the scarier it was to share, the more authentic and fulfilling and nurturing the feedback was from people. And it wasn't like feedback from people saying, oh, you wrote a nice piece. Great job. It was people saying, oh my God, it's not just me. Or I thought I was the only one. Or wow, I from people I've known my whole life, I always thought we were so different. And now I realize how alike we are. Um, it is, it is huge. It is huge. And I mean, you know, if I could just, if I can be there, you know, through this magic of technology um, and write something or post something that makes even one person, and I, I think of women mostly when I write because I really have a heart for women. And even though I have three boys, you know, they're going to grow up to be like white men in America, right? Like for me, it's like, it's like mm. what I want 
to teach them a whole, a whole lot of things about tenderness and realizing their privilege and the responsibility they have. Um, but the people I want, want to really help and connect with are other women. Um, so if I could just right. be like, you know, even for one person to feel like, oh, you know what? That thing that I read from Ashley sort of feels like someone's here holding my hand or hand on my shoulder or like just that mm. bit of connection um, to help women be a little more tender with themselves, um, to be, to bring more awareness to really how our biases mm -hmm. and our prejudices and our conditioning really shape the way we see everything. Um, I want to, I want to do that. Even if it's just one person, you know, risking telling my own embarrassing stories that, you know, some people will definitely judge. Um, but if I can just mm -hmm. reach out and just help one person, then that makes it worth it to me. I agree. And so I'm curious how, like, what led you to even consider writing and sharing your work publicly? And how did you go about choosing what topics yeah. you would share? So I started writing at the worst part of my marriage. Um, probably four days a week at that point, I would think I'm going to wow. tell him to leave when he walks in the door. It's done. We're, we're done. I can't, I can't do this. Um, and then he would walk in and I would look at him and I would soften a little bit and I'd be like, okay, maybe not today. <laughs> um, but I was feeling so conflicted every day. And um, I had just this, this gnawing feeling that it had something to do with my own creativity or self-expression. And so I took back mm. a lot of creative control in my job. I had been bringing in some outside choreographers for a few years. And I, okay. I really let myself dive back into that. Um, as a segue, like just a stopping point here before I get to the writing. Also, at this point, mm -hmm. I started examining the idea of this was a suggestion from my friend, Stephanie, who's a writer and amazing and an energetic healer. I have like the most amazing friends, Marissa. Like I seriously, they could all be like on Super Soul Sunday. They are just incredible. They are incredible. And she said she was trying out this experiment of doing the thing she most judged other women for doing. And yeah. when she told me this, I just, had to take a breath and lean back and go like, whoa. Um, I, right in that moment, I felt like, wow, there's something here. There is something here. And more than it being terrifying, I was like, I feel like there is gigantic liberation here. And I didn't have to mm. dig down very deep to figure out those things that I did judge other women for. And just silently, things I never even said out loud, but I had felt mm. the resentment building in me from so many different angles over the years. Like, I think what I was doing, mm -hmm. trying to take on so much, was trying to get enough 
um, enough appreciation, enough recognition to really feel filled up. And at the same time, Mm. I was pushing my actual emotional needs down really, really, really deep. So um, I felt the resentment building. And that was like, that's the, the martyr mom sort of part of this is like, when you feel like you're almost mm-hmm. killing yourself for your children or your family, I, for me, what it felt like was that I was just putting myself up on the stage each day, like saying, don't, don't any of you see what I'm doing? Like, don't any of you see how hard I'm working? And I, I have seen enough different parents over the years, like as in my role as a coach, I, it's not a thousand, but it's almost, it, no, if we're just talking, if we're talking parents overall, it's over a thousand, but it's almost a thousand just moms that I've seen and interacted with, with all of the athletes mm-hmm. I've coached over the years. So I've seen like a lot of different ways of moms handling that role of mom. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I could see a lot of the, the moms that, that I could, well, there were the moms who I would really wish I could be like, who were like totally devoted to their kids, but also like joyous. Um, But the ones I could relate to more were the ones who looked like they were sort of killing themselves to try to be a good mom. And those were the ones Mm. that, you know, if I was being honest with myself, like I saw a lot of those tendencies in me, Um, but I was still able to, I was still able to keep this persona, this facade that I really was doing so well and doing it easily. And I I have a very optimistic disposition. So it it would seem to almost everyone around that I was I was very happy and loving like all the things I was doing, even though I was I was almost drowning mm-hmm. in all of the things. Um so when Stephanie told me about this idea of doing the thing that she most judged other women for doing. I knew the first one. I, it was, and it Mm. it is not based in reality at all. And I knew it as soon as it came up, but I had to do all of my, or I was doing all of my administrative work at home while my children crawled all over me. And for every, every time I was doing work, I was feeling bad that I wasn't playing with my kids. And whenever I would be playing with my kids Mm. or doing anything with them, I would feel bad that I wasn't doing my work, like that I was letting other people down who worked with me or like this other like subtle, weird, icky thing that like I was falling behind like my, my, my childless colleagues and competitors, you know, all, you know, this kind of like kind of Mm. darker little feeling. Um, And I realized at that time that, I really resented moms who had the luxury and I'm putting this in quotes because it is not a luxury. And I realized that of having someone else take care of their children while they did their work. And, and it wasn't based, Mm. it wasn't based in reality. And to be honest, I would travel twice a month to competitions around the country and I would have a babysitter and my husband and my mother-in-law all like take shifts, taking care of my children there were a lot of times I would leave my children to go to work, right. but this idea 
that I this resentment that would kind of build up, not kind of, that would definitely build up during the day with not having the space I needed to actually do the work that I wanted and felt like I needed to do, you know, cause there were both, there, there were the parts that I, the things that I needed mm-hmm. to do and also the things that I wanted to do the way I wanted to expand the value I was offering in my organization to my athletes. And, um, and I realized at that moment too, I had never given myself permission to be a working mom, like a mom who had a business and a job. Um, I was always holding it over my own head when I was working that I was somehow shortchanging my children. And then the opposite, like I was shortchanging my organization and my girls who I worked with at work, you know, all my athletes, if I was with my boys and I was like, whoa, like nobody is holding this over your head, but, but you. So I hired a nanny. I hired a full-time nanny during the week so that I could, well, she came four days a week. So I shouldn't say full time, but she came four days a week for me. And I, I locked my office door. Well, for, I set up a beautiful office in my house. It was like a spare room upstairs that was just piled with junk. And I cleaned it out and I am sitting in it right now. And it is still glorious. Like I have a, a beautiful office space that overlooks my garden. It's just, and the sun comes in in such a lovely way. I set up this space for me and it was, it was really like symbolic of taking the space for myself that I wanted and needed and you know, which I, what, that I wanted, that I wanted for myself. Um, and it really, it was, it's pure magic. (laughs) Um, I would come down from my hours of office time and my children would be played out because they were with somebody who, you know, wasn't with them 24 hours a day. Um, the house was tidy. Mm-hmm. She did the laundry. Sometimes she even started dinner. Like it was just this magical thing that was so supportive to our entire family. And that was the first glimpse of, wow, like outsourcing some of these things that I am doing doesn't detract from our family. It adds, it adds for us. Um, I hired a cleaning lady and I had a lot of mental hurdles to get over with this because I was thinking, okay, so you want to be a homesteader, like you have your chickens out there and your enormous garden and you can all your tomatoes, but you're going to pay someone else to wash your floors. So, you know, and all of this is just my own stuff, right? And I just mm-hmm. played along with this ex- experiment, like, what do I resent that other women do? Because that is a sign that I probably that, want it too. Oh, exactly. That I'm, I want it. And either I think I don't deserve it or I'm not allowing it for myself or whatever. A lot of it was like trying to, trying to keep up this highest level of difficulty shtick, you know? And it was like, when mm. I started doing these things, I realized what a gift it was <laughs> to myself, to my husband, to my children to just ease up on these things. And so much of it was, it seems like a lot of it was about control, which um, is a very easy thing to like look at it and and put that label on it. But I think it was really more about self-sufficiency to kind of convince myself and convince other people that I didn't have needs. Like I had goals, Hmm. but I didn't really have emotional needs. Why do you think you wanted to portray yourself as someone who didn't want or who 
actually didn't have any emotional needs? Um, Because being a person who has goals is far less scary than somebody who has needs. Hmm. Um, If you have needs, then that might mean you have to rely on other people. And if I have to rely on other people, then maybe it's going to hurt. Maybe I'm going to feel disappointed. Um, And I was able to function so well and for so long in my life um, by just going from goal to goal to goal to goal. And, you know, then people would show up at the award ceremony or the whatever. I'd be like, yay, Ashley. Um, and, and during this, I was really able to just kind of start to peel back the layers of this um, mm-hmm. and just see, too, that that allowing myself to start to, because it was scary to realize, wow, I really am so so much needier than I realized. And what did that feel like um, in realizing that? Well, it started as it started, you know, this was, this was the reason why I really felt like I need to get out of this marriage. I really felt like I needed somebody who loved me better. And that was like Mm -hmm. this thought that kept going over and over in my head for months. Like you need someone who loves you better. You need, because I was starting to get sick. I was having all of these weird things and my body had always been so healthy. Like I had not been to it. I'd been to my midwife, but I hadn't been to an actual doctor in years and years and years. I hadn't had, you know, a medication or prescription, anything. And then all of a sudden, like Mm -hmm. I really, the, the toll of everything started to manifest in my physical body in a lot of different ways. And I was just Mm. saying to myself, like, and in meditation, like, what is it? Like, how do I get healthier? How do I get healthier? And what I kept hearing was, you need someone who loves you better. And that was terrifying. And also I was like, yes, that's it. I know that's it. Um, But then, then, then I would really try to reflect on, okay, like, should I get a divorce? But no clear answer would come. It wasn't a no, but it was just like silence. Uh, Should I ask him to leave? Silence. And so it was this silence and this darkness for a long time. And then one day, he was in meditation. um, It came up again, like, you need someone who loves you better. And I was sort of like, yeah, I heard you the first hundred times. Like, what, what, what else? And then what came was, and it's you. Wow. And then I started laughing um, because I just cracked up laughing because when, when I do catch myself on some crap like that, that I've let myself hold on to for so long and let my, let me, you know, I've convinced myself that it's true and, oh, what am I supposed to do about this? It's so true. And I'm, I'm just, you know, stuck when, when the actual truth drops in, it is such a relief and I can see it clearly that I don't need to hold on to that old story anymore. Um, mm. So that was a that was a pivotal moment, and so I decided, okay, here's a new little project for myself. How the heck do I make myself actually feel loved? And that is where a lot of the writing started because I love words. I mean, I was early to speak. I was early to write, early to read, like no, nothing is complete until I can like 
explain it in words in my head. You know, like I can experience mm. the most beautiful moment with my children or a sunrise or something, but it's not until I figure out the words that even if I don't share them, sort of figure out like the lyrical way that I'm going to put the words together in my head. It's not, it's not until then that I've actually like fully had the experience. So I can understand. Yeah. That. And so I started writing love letters to myself every single day. And sometimes it was multiple times a day. Um, sometimes just short, like, I love you. You are a good mom. You're doing a good job. When you freaked out at breakfast, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, your kids know they're loved and everything. Love, Ashley. Okay. And then, then what that expanded into was as I was starting to really give myself more, then I realized really specifically what I would love for my husband. So I started writing myself love letters from him, just saying the things that I wish he would mm. say. And I started writing love letters to myself from my kids, saying the things that I wish they would say. You know, that they're too young to even like put all together. Um, mm -hmm. And all of that just felt so incredibly uh, just healing and nurturing and it gave me this buoyancy, like, oh, you know, I do have everything I need right here. I just need to look at things in a different way. Yeah. <sighs> so talk to me a little bit more about that mindset shift where Ooh. you, because you did mention you had this experiment that yeah. came to you as your friend was going through it. So as little doubts and things were popping up, how are you handling those and how are you kind of walking yourself through this experiment? Yeah. Okay. So I started looking at responsibility in a different way. Um, instead, mm -hmm. To me, responsibility meant doing everything and doing it perfectly and never asking for help. Um, but then I started looking at it, really looking at the word responsibility, and it really is our ability to respond. So just bringing aware, my goal became just bringing more awareness to every situation, whether it was my boys fighting or a stressful situation at work or me feeling um, disconnected to my husband or giving my own self crap about not doing enough or just bringing awareness to that. I made that my only responsibility just, and then I could, instead of just reacting out of conditioning and my old patterning and habits, I was able mm -hmm. to start to really respond to these situations. And sometimes I couldn't do them in the moment. Sometimes I'd freak out at my kids and then, but then it wouldn't take very long. Like it would be a few moments later that I would go, Oh, wait, I'm really sorry. Um, that wasn't actually necessary. I, I'm feeling stressed about this email I got from work and I'm not really that mad about what just happened. It just, you know, it kind of, all my feelings just came out at that moment. Um, and, and so I, I made it about not being perfect and just kind of just having that ability to respond to the situation when I did make the mistake. So it wasn't about like perfect action, perfect action, perfect action. It was just about bringing this awareness so that when something didn't go the way I had hoped or when I really underperformed as far as my own standards, that mm -hmm. um, I just had this tenderness for myself and I could turn. It happened so often with my children. I could just turn because, you know, you just get so many opportunities in a day with children and there are three of them and there are lots of different dynamics. They have different personalities and they're different ages. 
Um, so a lot of times I would just, you know, take that opportunity to just practice over and over. What happens when I just look back to them and say, hey, you know what, this is how I wish I would have handled that. Um, and which to me actually seems like a much better learning opportunity and modeling for them what I want for them than doing it perfectly the first time. Right. Right. Because we can't always do everything perfectly the first no. time. So how are we going to teach our kids how to handle the fallout or, you know, the consequences right. of whatever happens mm-hmm. if we're not actually showing them ourselves? That's right. That's right. And, and with that, with just that bringing awareness, um, I started like, I started really liking this game of like, okay, wait, what's the next thing that I like, you know, judge other people for doing. And it was sending their kids to school, public school, like it's no big deal. And again, this is, this is completely a fantasy in my mind, right? Like nobody makes Mm -hmm. any decisions about their children and says it's no big deal. But that was my idea that, (laughs) um, that kept me holding on to homeschooling for a while longer than we should have. Um, I was having a lot of, a lot of conflicts with my oldest son and it wasn't even about schooling. It was like, put on your socks today or, you know, you need to eat breakfast. Like we were just butting heads on everything. And, um, because Mm -hmm. of my like, you know, former, um, perspective of responsibility, I just felt like I needed to like soldier on and keep pushing through because I did feel like there were a lot of benefits. You know, one of the biggest ones was I got to see so much of my children um, because I worked evenings and weekends. Like we got to have a huge amount of time together, but it turned into like a huge quantity of time. And the quality was remarkably crappy most weeks. Like they would be melting down. I wouldn't be my best self. You know, like it was like, okay, wait, yes, spending time together is important, but we're sort of, we're together so much that we're all taking it a bit for granted. Um, so mm-hmm. I went, I, I visited first some, I thought, you know, maybe the next thing is that I, they sent my kids to school. So I started, I visited some private schools around here and I loved them and they were small. And I thought, wow, like I would probably be best friends with the headmaster or headmistress, mm-hmm. you know, the head of school. And, um, but I felt like my oldest would be, and when I did this, I was, I was, it was the middle, it was the middle of December. I was just okay. planning to send him in January to like some place, some school. Oh, Mar- Marissa, I have to tell you first, you know, my first thought when we were not getting along, when I, my oldest son and I were having so many challenges was I, I started thinking, okay, okay. When was he the happiest? When do I remember us having more ease? When do I remember it being more harmonious? And I I realized, oh, summer camp. And oh, you know what? Those weeks that he was in theater camp, he was the happiest. The weeks where, you know, it was a big group of kids and they had a very um, important uh, project. They were learning, they were casting and learning a whole play in one week to to perform on Friday. So, you know, in, within five days, learning a whole play. So um, wow. he would come home and he would like study his lines um, and things at night. And he was just like, he would, he would like pack lunch for the next day and he would get his clothes light up. Like every, he just did all of these things automatically that I was like, 
it was like me trying to get him to do it was like pulling teeth. And I thought, oh, okay, well, because I had started a whole bunch of different homeschooling activities um, to really have homeschool classes and things that really match the values of our family um, and our community. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had established all of these things and I thought, okay, well, if only there was like a camp in the winter where kids, you know, he would be with a whole bunch of kids and be learning and like have to do work like after camp, you know, in the evenings. And I thought, oh, maybe I should start a camp like that. And then I realized Mm -hmm. that it already exists and it's called school. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so, but I was like going down this like, okay, I would have to rent space and hire facilitators and, you know, like I was, I, I was so, you're ready to jump. Oh in. my gosh. Because I was like, okay, how can I, you know, do the highest level of difficulty and start this new winter camp, you know? So, <laughs> um, so, but when I realized it popped into my mind, uh, yeah, that exists. It's called school. Like the school bus will even pick them up. Like, what are you talking about? You dope. I was like, you know, again, I laughed because I was like, oh, like I love just unpacking and, and realizing that I can just shift my perspective just a few degrees and see something in an entirely new way. Um, yeah. So these, these schools that I visited, the private schools were so tiny and the, the, the um, class size was really small. And all of these are like things that could be looked at positively. But I just thought, He's going to be bored in a week. Like he really needs, mm. and, and one of my good friends who I homeschooled with, she, she knows me well and she knows my children well. And she said, you know what? He would be happiest at the busiest, most competitive place you can find for him. And I thought that's public school. So I visited the school. I talked to the principal. I said, I'm looking into homeschool retirement. Can you help me with that? And he laughed and he was like, I think I can, I think I can help you with that. Um, yeah. And I sent him a couple weeks later. And he loved it immediately. Um, it was like, you know, ma- magical. And then I got some time with my younger two that I had never had exclusively, you know, like by, right. by keeping us all together, like the family unit of me and the three children together during the day. So often I actually, you know, had, you know, I, well, when we shifted that, I had this opportunity then to be with just a couple of my children at a time. And then even, Mm. so he loved it so much that I sent all of them to school in the fall. And I even sent my little one to full day pre-K. I had never had a kid in preschool, you know what I mean? But I'm sending like my, like my four-year-old. So that was so interesting. And I mean, it was just like, uh, not only was I doing this, I was sending my kids to school, but I was like, I, I wasn't even waiting to kindergarten with the littlest. Like I was going sort of extreme in the other direction and seeing just how that felt. So I sent him four days a week. And then the two of us had Mondays together every week, just the two of us. And that was, you know, something we had wow. never, ever had. And I could see how, oh my gosh, every day he would wake up and say, is it Monday? You know, even though he loved school, he just loved having that one-on-one time with me. Um, so, you know, and, and, I was writing myself the love letters and started getting some courage, like writing some personal stories. Like all of these things were happening um, simultaneously and in tandem. And it just started to shift our family unit and our dynamic and my marriage and everything in just this way that's just nothing short of magical. Um, It's like we're a new family. 
Wow. Okay. So I want to dive into that a little bit, but first I want to know, what did it feel like to kind of, to release yourself from all of these judgments that you had before? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so I don't, I, uh, I don't know if you're going to bleep this out or what, but I just want to like, I just, it was amazing. It was effing amazing. Like I had never in my life, <laughs> in, in my life just said like, Oh, what if I don't do that? Or what if I quit that? Or what if I do opposite the thing? Mm-hmm. Um, what I realized was it wasn't even about the thing that I was doing that I was holding on to and then ready to let go. It was about feeling like, oh, I'm not the kind of person who would just choose the easy thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, it was more about my view of me. And every time I dropped one of those things, it was like I was dropping a facade that I had built up around my true self. And I, I mean, I was in a performance sport that has an aesthetic component. Um, as a little girl, I got attention from my appearance. Like there were so many things. And it just as a woman in the world, I think this is unavoidable. There were so many things that showed me early on that, people really want to see a certain thing for me and everybody in my life sort of wanted to see something different. Like I had, I had the skating parents who thought I was too hard and the ones who thought I was too soft. And I, you know, have to, I had to, I was really, I was really intuitive as a kid, as far as like, I could tell how somebody felt when they first met me and throughout my life that I've tried to be like, okay, well, how can I be the version of myself that makes them feel the most comfortable? So I developed all these facades to myself, like, and I'm putting my finger around, like, like, you know, all around. And they were a lot of work to upkeep, like to hold up. Right. It wasn't hard for me to remember what everybody wanted of me because I felt like everybody I met, it was almost like they had a sign above their head saying, I would feel better if you were like this. Like it was really always clear to me. Mm what I could do to try to make someone feel better. It it was also clear to me too, that it wasn't always the best thing to do for them or the best thing to do for me. But I felt like, you know, and I think this is like maybe like a little bit empathic or something. I don't, I don't know why I could always feel this, but, um, I, I felt like, okay, this isn't actually the healthiest thing, but if I know that I'm doing this or showing this side of myself to make them feel better, I can keep doing it. So there was, there were those mm. parts, you know, trying to be a different sort of, and I don't want to say a different person or a fake version. I think there are so many facets of all of us. Um, but, but yeah. when, when I was showing that version to different people or, you know, as a homeschooling mom or as um, the director of my organization, like, you know, you have to emphasize certain parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. When I stopped this incessant need to try to keep those things looking like they were looking, they all started to drop. Like I I thought it was going to be work to try to take down this facade and take down this, but Mm. it was almost like, okay, you know, when you build a sandcastle, and, and all of the work is in building the sandcastle, right? And it looks beautiful. But as soon as the wind comes or one wave, like it is coming down, right? Like quickly, quickly, yes. quickly, like all of the, and then if you decide 
that you want to keep this sandcastle looking perfect for the whole day at the beach, like with the tide changing and everything, like you're, you're going to be very tired. <laughs> right? Because it's like all of life is trying to tear down that sandcastle. It's like, it's trying to just, it, it's so mm -hmm. temporary and, oh, okay, the joy has got to be in building the sandcastle because you're not maintaining it. But what I found was right. when I stopped this, this need to be certain, to, to hold these certain roles for myself or because I thought people around me would feel more comfortable or more confident or safer or all of the things, right? Um, they just started to fall like every single one of them was made of sand. But underneath mm. was the real me. It was like it was like underneath the whole time I'd been this beautiful bronze right. statue that's like sturdy and secure and perfect and immovable. And like that is my core self. And the work, I, I think... Right, which brings us back to the initial question, too. Right? The, the who is Ashley? Yes. Yeah. So when I... I had always felt like, okay, if I, if, I, if I drop this role I'm playing or if I drop this version of myself that I am for this person, I am going to have to, like, search all over to, like, rebuild the version of myself that's really me. But that wasn't the case. Mm. I, the real me, the core me was underneath all of it the whole time. And, and I could decide to put on another role and really, you know, focus on that for a while if I want to. But knowing that like, it's just, it's just a role or it's just, you know, an adventure, an endeavor, or just like a, a part I'm in a play and realizing I can just let it fall away. And it doesn't do any, it doesn't do right. anything to change who I really am. My true self, my core right. self. Right. And so as you let all of these different facades fall away, how did that affect your family, like your kids, your husband? What was it like for them to see you go oh through gosh. this? Maris, it was like they all got to drop parts of themselves too. Um, it's still, it's still mm. like, it is a continuous process. Um, a continuous mm -hmm. process of, you know, me letting myself, because I think I still have, you know, a lot of those, like I've dropped a lot of them and I see who I really am underneath. Um, but other ones will just sort of pop up without me realizing, or there's some other ones that I think, you know, are, are still behind me that I can't see yet. Um, so it's a, it's mm. a constant, it's a constant um, practice of just bringing awareness like I said, because that, that is my one responsibility. That is my highest responsibility of bringing awareness um, to all of our interactions and our situations and really just talking to them about my process and my journey. And some of it goes over their heads and some of them it's planting a seed and all of the things, you know, because they're different ages and sometimes like they really just want to go play. And, you know, so um, just but right. continuing this, um, this continuing my self-discovery and being able to model that for my family um, is just in the, at the mm -hmm. very, very least, it's giving them permission to look at that for themselves when they want to, because I mean, a lot of, a lot of their childhood is just going to be like them sort of building up that castle, those facades. And I just want to like always remind them, Hey, 
the real use inside the real you because there's some of the things that we have to kind of build up and some of them are protective and um and just kind of trying to point them back to that the real you and when I see them acting in a way that doesn't really look like their real selves um I'll I'll bring awareness to that and be like you know what like that that is a fun role to play sometimes but like when you're using your real voice or interacting in your authentic way, like that is actually the part of you that people are going to respond to the best. Like, you know, being this funny guy, my oldest is almost 12. So like being this funny guy persona is something that gets him a lot of attention with his friends right now. And I told him it does, it will definitely, it will get you attention with your friends. Um, But the people who respond to you and connect with you when you're being just your real self, those are the people who are really your friends, you know? So just trying mm-hmm. to, just giving them some awareness about that, um, but but realizing that it's going to be, like, it's going to be me doing that for myself and then figuring out what, what, um, what desires and what inclinations come out of that too when I'm really focused on my real self instead of all of that work of, you know, keeping those facades up, Um, you know, and like my writing right now, which is a huge part of my focus, uh, you know, just letting them see all of those things. And um, I think that is probably the best gift I can give them. It's just that awareness and just, that vulnerability and vulnerability is still not easy for me because um, I did such a good job of just do, you know, being the hard worker and the achiever and all of those things. So it's still, it still is a process, but just trying to be authentically vulnerable with them as much as I can be and talk to them about that. Right. Um, those are the things that I'm really trying to do. Mm, so well said. And so you've mentioned you're writing, you're writing a book. You also have a yes. website and you are on this continuous process mm-hmm. of self-discovery. So where can people stay in touch with you? Um, you can find me at ashleyrenard.com and Ashley is A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, um, Renard, R-E-N-A-R-D, um, also Ashley Renard on Instagram and Facebook. I have been, I'm very close. At the time of this recording, I'm about one week from sending my manuscript to agents. Um, oh yeah, God. which is still, you know, it's just, I am, I just try to bring the awareness to every situation because I just, I see, I have that urge to just check the box, right? And to want things to move so quickly because then that means I'm checking a bunch of boxes in a row. Um, you know, from this process on, it could right. still be a couple of years before the book is published. And, you know, there'll be edits to do when I find representation, there'll be edits to do with the agent and then edits to do with my actual editor at the publisher, at the publisher. So all of like, there are a lot of steps. And so I'm not saying I've done the book because the book is going to continue to evolve. Like, and I've seen it in all the programs that I've choreographed that you have an idea and you create something, but then in the creation of it, it takes on a life of its own. Um, so I expect that to happen with the story as well. Um, but it's, it's really, you know, when, if you just look at it, you may look at it and think like, you know, when, when the word, you know, when the, 
title and the cover and all of those things. It, it sort of seems to be a book about sex, but it's not. There are some parts of it that are. Um, it's really about perfectionism. It's about really that rediscovering of myself um, and how that was a necessary uh-huh. step in reclaiming and really growing our marriage, how we did. But in, in the end, it's actually the love story of our family, Uh, which just is such, mm, it's just, it feels like just a tribute to them. And I feel so incredibly grateful for my husband because there are an enormous number of very embarrassing stories and secrets and things that, um, that are uncovered and shared in the story. And for him to just understand why, why I really feel called to share this. I tried to write three other books in a screenplay, but this was the book that needs, that wants to be born now. Um, and he really understands that. And I realized, you know, the gift that I have in having somebody who's so solid and who really does not need me to be anything different in order for him to feel okay. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story, Ashley. And I can't wait for your book to be out in the world. I'm sure it's going to be a collection of such truth and honesty mm-hmm. and a light unto the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for us. This was wonderful. And I'm so glad we've connected. And I am so grateful that you're doing the work you were doing. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. And then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young.